This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Live Free Creative, an intentional podcast with practical tips for living your life on purpose. I'm your host, Miranda Anderson, and I believe in creativity, adventure, curiosity, and the magic of small moments. I hope that every time you listen, you feel empowered and free to live the life that you want. Hello, welcome back to Live Free Creative Podcast. You're listening to episode number 234, 10 Days in Morocco. I did a poll on Instagram a couple weeks ago when I had returned from this epic adventure with my sisters and my mom, trying to figure out the best way to share some of the ins and outs of our trip. And the majority of respondents said that they preferred listening to a podcast episode about it. So this is going to be really fun because often people say, hey, I want to hear about your trip or I can't wait to hear all about your vacation. And then you don't actually get around to like sitting and telling them about it, at least not fully. So today's episode is going to be an overview of our vacation. And I'm going to share some of the details, how we planned, where we went, what we did. That means that the show notes of this episode are going to operate in some ways like a an itinerary that you could save it, pin it to your pin board, send it to a friend that's planning on going to Morocco. I'm going to link the locations that we stayed, the tour company that we used for our Sahara adventure, lots of different sort of ins and outs of things that we loved, restaurants and things like that. So our itinerary linked, it will kind of function as a travel blog post where you can you know, either that or I'll link directly to a specific other blog post that doesn't have like all of the talking points and just has the links. So either way, if you go to the show notes of this episode, uh, which is always at livefreecreative.co slash podcast, and then you search for the episode that you're looking for, in this case, 234, there will be links either right in those notes or a link directly to a, a separate post that has all of the notes available. That way, if you know, you can sit back and listen to it and like hearing about it. And also if you have a hankering to travel to Morocco or you're interested in making some plans or sending them to a friend that all of that is in one place for you. I want to start today's episode with a quick pause for a poem. If once you have slept on an island, you'll never be quite the same. You may look as you looked the day before and go by the same old name. You may bustle about in street and shop You may sit at home and sew, but you'll see blue water 
and wheeling goals wherever your feet may go. You may chat with the neighbors of this and that and close to your fire keep, but you'll hear the ship whistle and lighthouse bell and the tides beat through your sleep. Oh, you won't know why and you can't say how such change upon you came, but once you have slept on an island, you'll never be quite the same. If Once You Have Slept on an Island by Rachel Field. I'm sure you can guess what I loved about that poem, which is this feeling that once you have traveled and experienced something different, something new, it becomes a part of you in a way that is kind of hard to explain. You see those colors, you have your mind and heart opened to those people, the cultures, good and bad memories of travel and experiences all over the world, all over the country, in your own home state, in your own hometown. Experiencing new things invites us to curiosity. It invites us to learning. It just changes our perspective. There's some really fun research around the well-being benefits of travel for our brains, for our physical health, for our emotional well-being, as well as our relationships. Of course, there can be negatives to traveling as well. And so much of it depends on your perspective. One thing that I can say just from my own experience, having traveled as a part of my culture growing up, I grew up in a family that liked to travel. We did a lot of local travel, camping and backpacking and hiking nearby growing up in Utah that that was super accessible to us. I also started traveling abroad when I was in my elementary years, uh, going to Mexico. Uh, We did a big road trip to Canada, started to sort of experience cultures and languages and food and you know views landscapes different from my own and I think that so much of my interest in the world so much of my hope to understand lots of different people and uh, what I would consider a pretty open-hearted nature that I have cultivated comes from the experience of seeing people in all different circumstances and knowing that one way doesn't work for everyone, that one livelihood isn't right for everyone, that one pathway in life doesn't necessarily mean life is better for one particular group of people than another. So there are lots of benefits to travel and it's been really fun to be able to see those perspective shifts that happen in my own life as a result of some of the trips that I've taken. I'm going to divide this episode up into a couple different sections. One will be just general background on these girls trips that I do with my sisters and my mom. The next will be the planning stage. And then finally, I will walk you through the itinerary of our 10 days in Morocco. That way you just have a little bit of a of an overview of the whole situation, kind of the backstory. So I will begin with the true backstory that is when my oldest sister, there are four girls in my family, there's two boys and four girls, six siblings total. When my older sister, who is the oldest girl in the family, was about to turn 30, I guess about six months before she turned 30, she called me and asked me if I would be willing to go on a trip to Paris with her to celebrate her 30th birthday. To give you a quick frame of reference, when she turned 30, I was working part-time as a nurse. I had two young boys living in a 800-square-foot apartment in Washington, D.C. while Dave finished law school. I had very little disposable income and very little disposable time. 
So the idea of like picking up and going to Paris just wasn't realistic for me at that stage. And I said, I, I, you know, I told her, I feel really bad. I just, I'm not going to be able to make that happen in six months. That's just not feasible with my current situation in life. I'll put a pin in that and say, could I have figured it out? Probably. It would have been a lot of logistics and financial gymnastics to make it happen. And so ultimately, you know, in that moment, I decided it wasn't worthwhile. I wasn't going to do that. However, knowing how much she wanted to really mark the occasion of this big birthday with something fun, I called my other sisters and my mom and proposed a different plan. What I proposed was called 30 in the City, a girl's trip to San Francisco, which felt much more affordable and approachable for all of us. And it was a surprise. So on my sister's 30th birthday, she got an invitation in the mail to a girl's weekend for her birthday together with a full itinerary of what we were going to do during the four days that we were there, uh, plane tickets, and just like a welcome to this fun celebration. So this 30 in the city for my older sister kicked off what has now become a beloved mm, tradition of girls trips for milestone birthdays. And between the four sisters, my mom, and also my sister-in-laws, we have milestone birthdays coming up about every two to three years. So for the last 12 and a half, 13 years, Every milestone birthday that one of us has, we plan ahead and choose a location and do a girl's trip. It's just an excuse to travel. We love traveling together. It's a fun way where we live sort of all over. It's a fun way to have that special sister's time. We really have close relationships, and so we enjoy spending that time together. And it's been a great way to see the world. Sometimes one or more babes in arms has come along on the girls' trips. We did one to Las Vegas for one of my mom's milestone birthdays, and both my younger sister and I had our little babies that we brought with us for that trip. Depending on our seasons of life, where we're able to go, the budget that we choose, you know, all of the logistics and the plans depend a little bit on what's going on. So this is how Morocco emerged my 40th birthday was the next milestone birthday. And I was in discussing with my sisters, told them that Morocco was somewhere I had always wanted to go. I've been a few places nearby. One of our girls trips in 2019 was to Spain and Portugal, which is right by Morocco. And a couple of my sisters had already been to Morocco on different vacations. And so we talked about it and I, I did a little bit of digging in. And then it really became solidified to me that this is somewhere that I wanted to go when I watched my friend Gabrielle Blair, who is also known as Design Mom, uh, take her daughter to Marrakesh for her daughter's birthday. They live in France. So it was, you know, a quick hop plane ride for them. They just spent about four days in Marrakesh and documented the whole thing on Instagram. And I followed along just dazzled by the sights and the design aesthetic and the colors. And I said, yes, that's for sure somewhere I want to go. So I started to look into it. And it just happened that my older sister and I were on the phone together talking about how the, the price of flights had gone up so much post-COVID. I mean, everything was pretty low during COVID for obvious reasons. And then uh, I feel like there's been sort of a bounce back where flights and travel is all all feels quite expensive right now. So we were wondering whether or not it was going to be realistic for us all to get abroad 
over to Morocco. Uh, I was looking at my school schedule, knowing that I have school every few weeks and that that takes up a lot of time and energy. And so we found a week in March that looked good and happened to go on to the airline website to look at prices and noticed that for whatever reason, the flights both from Salt Lake City, Utah, which is where she was traveling from, and from Richmond, Virginia, which is where I was traveling from, were extremely low, like almost weirdly so that we had a moment of saying, is this like a glitch? And we decided, let's just book them. We both actually had enough SkyMiles in our Delta accounts from using a SkyMiles credit card to book them with points. And so we said, let's just book them. You have 24 hours to cancel. We said, let's book them. We'll text everyone and say, hey, we found some flights. Grab them if you can. And it actually just worked out that we booked them. We texted my mom and all the sisters. And they all got on and were able to find the same deal. And so it was set in stone. I've always said, once you have your flights, you're on your way. (laughs) And so we had our flights. And the rest was just figuring out the, you know, the ins and outs of what we wanted to do. I'll mention that we decided to go for 10 days because traveling from the United States to Morocco is a long travel day. In fact, for most of us, it took more than one day to get there. I flew from Richmond to Paris, and then I had a quite a long layover in Paris before flying to Marrakesh. So for each of us, depending on where we were coming from, it was about a day and a half of travel on either end. So we wanted to have a solid week in country, which meant that we needed to add travel days on. So from the time we left until the time we got home was 10 days on the calendar. Our actual in-country time was about eight. And that seemed like a perfect amount of time. I don't think that we would have needed unless we were really staying for like a long time, like a month or more to do sort of an in-country homestay. 10 days felt perfect. Next, I'm going to share how we created our itinerary before we left and how we chose what we were going to do and where we were going to stay. But before I do that, I want to take a quick minute for today's podcast sponsor. The show today is brought to you by Pros. No one has hair like yours, so why would you settle for mass-produced, one-size-fits-all hair care? I myself have very fine, straight hair and have struggled really my whole life to find hair care that works for me, that gives me the volume and shine and strength that I need to feel like an adult with this head of baby hair. Since making the switch to made to order hair care with pros, I can honestly say I've never been more in love with my hair. My first interaction with pros was when they gifted me a set as an influencer. And I was a little skeptical, but you know, why not try it? I am not kidding that I have been hooked ever since. It's been several years now and Pros is the only hair care that I want to use. It's so effective because the formulas are made to order for your hair, your location, and your goals. You get started by taking a survey where they ask about your goals, where you live, an in-depth consultation about you as a person, your zip code, eating habits, damage level, exercise. They take all of your answers, analyze them, and build for you a product specific to your needs. It's incredible, and I honestly can recommend it wholeheartedly. If you try it and don't love it, they'll take it back, no questions asked. So there's really no reason not to give it a try. Custom made-to-order hair care with pros is the key to achieving all of your hair goals. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash livefree. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash livefree for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. Enjoy. 
I love it so much. I seriously don't even wash my hair when I'm on vacation because I wait until I get home. <laughs> I use, I guess I could bring them with me, but I usually wash my hair before I go, style it. I'm set. And then I just use dry shampoo in between. I actually have a pros dry shampoo. And then when I get home from my vacation, I go ahead and wash and style and I'm ready again. When I'm home, I only wash my hair about every seven to 10 days regardless. So it works really well because I'm rarely out of town for more than, you know, a week or so. And so I just can wash my hair when I'm home and it feels wonderful. If you haven't given it a try, definitely add that to your list. Now I want to share a little bit about planning our trip to Morocco. And what happened here is similar to the way that I plan other vacations, except for one really fun sort of benefit that I had this time that I mentioned earlier that my friend Gabby had been to Morocco and shared her whole trip on Instagram, saved it into Instagram highlights. And so my first stop, and actually I've done this for a couple other trips, when I see that someone has traveled and shared their trip to a highlight or to like a blog post, I usually save that either on a pin board or I save them on the Instagram app directly. And then I can go in and the way that I like to do it is to go through and I have a spreadsheet open, like a Google Sheet or Google Doc. I like using a spreadsheet. And as they mention things, I will put them into the spreadsheet. So maybe I'll make a column for stays like hotels or Airbnbs. And then I'll make a column for restaurants and then I'll make a column for sites. And as they mention things, I'll click through to the home base on Instagram of whatever they're talking about, grab the URL so that I have the actual reference for the link of the mentioned highlight. And then at the end, I can put down my phone and I have a working document that has a baseline itinerary already on it. I thought you would appreciate that I named the Morocco spreadsheet Moroccan 40th with an R-O-C-K-I-N apostrophe. That's what we titled the trip. Most of the time, these girls' trips have a little bit of a funny, fun name that we add just to just for fun, for whimsy, kind of a theme that we build around. So the Moroccan 40th, that's what this trip was. And that's what I titled the spreadsheet. So I initially started with a baseline of a couple day itinerary built by my friend Gabby straight from her Instagram highlights. I really like Gabrielle. I've interacted and worked with her for a decade. And so I'm familiar with some of her style of travel and just her personality. She was someone that I knew I could trust following in the footsteps of her vacation to some extent. There are influencers who definitely don't travel the way that I do or that I would like to that I can enjoy watching their trip without feeling like I want to replicate it, where Gabrielle is someone that I was like, oh, yeah, I could totally do this whole trip the same way that she did it. And so that it's just a nice thing to have in mind when you're thinking about trying to sort of slurp a vacation from someone's blog post or from their Instagram. How well do you align in terms of travel values, in terms of budget restrictions as someone else? And just be aware of that because it, it doesn't always work to directly say, I'm just going to do everything that they did, where in this case, a lot of the things did align pretty fully. So in terms of logistics, I started with a spreadsheet that had just a repeat of the trip from Design Mom, where I had her the days that they were there, like four days, I think, and where they stayed, some of the restaurants they went to, places they visited. And she would mention like, this is nearby here. So then we went there next. I mean, just really thorough 
journalism as far as like the trip was concerned, which was really helpful. So I had a few days there, but we stayed in the country for much longer. And so I had pulled some of my sisters about other things that they were interested in doing. And we had a couple ideas floating around out there. One was that my sister-in-law had been following this boutique hotel on Instagram for years because of a certain type of plaster method that they do on the walls. She is doing a similar thing in her own renovation at home in Portland, Oregon, and had just you know seen this place in Marrakesh and just thought that would be so beautiful to stay. So when she found out that this was the location destination of my birthday trip, she sent it along and said, hey, what do you think about staying here for a couple nights? So we added that to the list of possibilities. And then also we looked at day trips to Casablanca, day trips to the Blue City. There's so much information out there on the World Wide Web about things to do in Morocco, you know, just open-ended. So we wanted to refine it a little bit. And one decision that we made right up front was that we wanted to spend the majority of the time in Marrakesh rather than trying to see three different cities over the week or you know travel around we wanted to spend most of our time in marrakesh and then the big exception to this was that i in doing just a little bit of lightweight internet research realized that the sahara desert is nearby marrakesh by nearby i mean like a day's drive and i love the desert if you've been listening to the podcast or following on Instagram for any amount of time. I, I talk about it sometimes. I really, really feel at home in the desert. I love the idea of like a desert camp spot and seeing the dunes and the sunrise and the sunset. And I saw that this is something that was offered in Morocco by several different tour companies where you can leave from Marrakesh. They'll pick you up and drive you out to the Sahara Desert. You stop at different spots along the way. Then you do a camel ride and stay at a glamping tent resort right near the desert before coming back. I put that on the top of my list and did a little bit of research around companies, found one that had super reviews. I sent them an email. They said that they would be totally willing and excited to take our group. And so we kind of went from there. So I pieced together the itinerary for this Morocco trip using Design Mom's Baseline Marrakesh Tour, the three-day Sahara Desert Camel camping tour and then finishing up the last couple days of our trip by staying in the beautiful boutique hotel recommended by my sister-in-law. Again, in terms of logistics, all of this information is going into a spreadsheet of places to go, things to see, places to eat. And when I have a pretty good set of ideas, the next thing I do is change the spreadsheet format to include the days of travel. So right now I'm looking at my spreadsheet and I start with travel days March 6th and 7th and then day one is March 8th and it begins with arrive and settle in breakfast what we're doing where we go and kind of goes through the day of what we're doing when and I have one column for each of the days of the trip including in there what the main activities of the day are where we're going to be if we're traveling somewhere restaurants that we have reservations at or places that we have been recommended to go, what's nearby where, and it's sort of just a working itinerary that includes things like wander around in the market. Like, it's not that every single minute is scheduled necessarily, 
but that we have an idea of where we're going when generally we can include reservations as needed. And then we can take an overview of the whole thing and see if there's something missing, see if there's something that we'd like to do that isn't on there, see if it looks like too much, like maybe we need some more pool time and then we can take some things off. It does help for me to be able to see it all visually and kind of compare and list it all in so that we can have some sort of baseline of what we're doing and where we're going. And like I said, for this particular trip, having Design Mom's schedule that was you know so generously shared online gave us a very good starting place and then we just built from there. I also should mention here that not every single thing works out. Sometimes you let, you arrive somewhere and it's too full or you get there and you realize you don't like it as much as you thought you would. And so then you leave. We didn't build a schedule to chain ourselves to it, rather to give us some guidelines of where to go and what to do. And then acknowledging that flexibility and adaptability are always going to be important components of a travel experience. And we were able to do that and flex things really well on this trip. That is sort of the planning component. Once we have some baseline plans for this trip, my mom took the responsibility of booking all of the things in advance. So she booked our Riyadh, which is a Moroccan word for a hotel or guest house. She booked our Sahara Desert tour, and um, she booked the nights at the boutique hotel on the end. Everything else that could be done, we booked while we were there. So our reservations for dinner, we only think I think we only had them one day, but we got those while we were there. And then getting tickets for different events, those are all things we walked up to do. You can get them in advance in some places. However, we found that it was pretty easy to plan like a day or two ahead to just kind of make sure rather than having the whole trip scheduled exactly ahead of time. So we had our destinations for where we were staying and transportation covered but then all of the day-to-day activities we just kind of booked as we went and that worked out really well for us. I'm now to the third part of the episode where I'm going to actually walk you through and tell you about our trip about the actual things that we did and the places we stayed and my overall impression of the whole thing. I mentioned that I flew from Richmond to Paris I had a long layover, which actually worked out really well for me because I did a whole section's worth of homework in about six hours. And then I took a hopper flight from Paris to Marrakesh. When I landed in Marrakesh at about midnight, I you know, gathered my things and went out and our Riyadh or hotel had provided a driver and it just had my name on the board that he was holding. I liked having the travel arrangements to the Riyadh planned ahead of time. My mom had arrived a little bit earlier. She had been with my sister and they'd taken this driver together. It was provided by the hotel and felt very safe. So rather than going out and just finding a taxi, I was able to just hop right in through a hotel-sponsored transport and be dropped off directly at the hotel. We stayed in a Riyadh called Atlas Acacia. I will link it in the show notes and I'm going to not say that every single time because everything that I mention as far as you know, logistics that are linkable, I will have in the show notes or in a separate blog post available through the show notes. This is a beautiful little older Riyadh. I think most of the Riyadhs were originally houses of, you know, royalty or upper class people. And they're gorgeous. They have multiple rooms, but not not dozens, maybe six or seven rooms. I think Atlas Acacia had about that many. The main level has a 
beautiful atrium and a little pool inside. There's incredible tile and plaster work everywhere throughout the city, and in particular in the Riyadhs. The craftsmanship is just intricate and beautiful. Something that I loved right off in Morocco was the colors. All of the city buildings are desert colors. They're dusty pinks and tans. That combined with all of the desert flora, just incredible cactus and palms, date palms and succulents and things sort of springing up out of everywhere despite it being the desert was really fun and I loved it. Our Riyadh, Atlas Acacia, had a beautiful rooftop garden with some big potted plants and an herb garden. It was really lovely and we had a great stay. My favorite thing probably about the Riyadh was the employees, the men who run the front desk and the driver and all of the employees were so incredibly helpful. This was not the Riyadh that Gabby, design mom, had recommended. We tried to get into the one that she had recommended and they didn't have space and we didn't want to break up into you know different hotels. So we ended up finding this one and it was really great. It wasn't luxury. It wasn't super high end. It, it was fairly affordable and it was a great location right off of sort of the main bustling market area, maybe a five to seven minute walk down into the market area. And we really liked it. So I will link it and also let you know that after having been, if I return again, there's a different Riyadh that I will book and I will share that with you when I get to it. Most of the Riyadhs include breakfast. So I got there at midnight, found my family, went to sleep, woke up and went downstairs and there's this huge breakfast spread. Hilariously, most of the breakfast is different types of bread. Bread and cake and crepes and biscuits. There's honey and jam and butter for all of it. And then everywhere you go, you're offered mint tea, green tea with mint as just part of the customary meal. Hot tea in these beautiful little tea kettles. And they lift it up high as they pour it. One of the people mentioned that the less bubbles the tea has as they pour it so high, the higher quality it is. So you want to make sure that your tea is good quality because it doesn't have very many bubbles. Sweet tea everywhere. Uh, Some of my family members asked for tea with just mint leaves and no green tea. Others of us drank it with the green tea and the mint. Everyone was pretty accommodating. So pretty much everywhere we went, you were able to get plain mint tea if you didn't want the green tea component. And there is tea everywhere at every single meal. So If you go to Morocco, you can plan on that. That first day, as we were waiting for our other sisters and sister-in-law to arrive, we wandered down through the streets. From the Riyadh into the market, everything is very narrow streets where a car couldn't get by. It's walkable. Sometimes there's like a donkey pulling a wagon with rugs or with fruit and vegetables on it. There's a lot of motorcycles and motor scooters that buzz through these alleyways. And the alleys are lined with shops from meat shops to vegetable stands to rug stores and souvenirs. There's a little bit of everything all along these main alleyways that surround the city. Marrakesh itself is a walled city and everything within the walls is considered the old city. And then everything without is more like the the more modern side of the city. Inside the city, we didn't spend a lot of time outside of the walls. So inside the walls of the city, there are really super narrow kind of more local markets that are called the souk. 
S-O-U-K. And then there are sort of bigger, more touristy alleyways and streets that you can tell by the wares and by the prices that they're more catered for tourists. Once you wind your way down through any of these alleys, most of them will dump you out into the main market square, which is a huge, flat expanse with buildings and, you know, these little capillaries of walkways heading out in all directions. And daily in that big market square, vendors and tents and food trucks come line up. And by food trucks, I don't mean like burritos. I mean like fruit and crepes and things that they're making, you know, local type of food. Along with that, we saw quite a few what felt to us a little bit disturbing animal situations. There were lots of uh, monkeys on leashes uh, for entertainment. There were several different areas where there were men with snakes, like snake charmers. And it's a totally real thing where I don't think I realized that there were actually like king cobras that were rising up to the sound of a flute. This is happening in the market in Morocco. We felt we didn't feel super comfortable with the animal interactions. And so we tried to steer clear of those and focus our attention on some of the more local feeling boutiques and shops and restaurants and um, having some experiences that we felt we wanted to support rather than things that felt a little bit uncomfortable, like some of those maybe not totally humanely treated animal situations. Everywhere we went, people were friendly. The shops are beautiful and there are so many colors and everywhere you go, you see rugs and pillows and earthenware, ceramics, lots of slippers like leather slides, lots of clothing, traditional clothing like big baggy camel pants and tunics. There's some incredible indigo dyed things and dyes, lots of different dyes, colors of pigments henna tattoos happening all over. You can get them almost anywhere if you want them. Uh, There are also some things called traditional hammams, which is like a professional shower where you get scrubbed and you get soaped and you get clayed. And this is all while you're stripped down to your level of comfort and you're getting like actually interaction with these women who give you these showers. And um, you can go on and get a massage as well all really interesting and we had heard that the hammams and the massages were awesome and our experience was really fun hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Along with the shops themselves being open, a lot of 
salespeople are interested in you coming into their shop. And so there's a lot of conversation happening, a lot of negotiation, inviting you into their shop. If you, you know, stop to look at something, it's likely that the shop owner will tell you how much it costs or ask you how much you're willing to pay for it. Lots of bartering and that's standard practice. In fact, the couple times that I didn't barter, I could tell how surprised the shop owner was. If they proposed a price that felt fair to me, then I just said great. And in some ways it felt easier to just not worry about it if I felt like the price was fair versus sometimes I felt like things were intentionally inflated because they expected the negotiation. So going in with an idea of how much you want to spend on particular goods if you're planning on doing shopping is helpful. Trying to practice a little bit of negotiation before you go may be helpful. And uh, also, I like I said, I don't think that you always have to barter. They were surprised if you didn't. But in some cases, it's kind of nice to just buy the thing and move on if you want. Also, we got really good at ignoring people and saying no. And those are skills that I think are really helpful as a female traveler anyway. And also in an environment of lots of tourism and and lots of shopping, the markets and shops and shop owners are, they're kind and also intentionally interactive. And so if you're not interested, you can say thank you, no, or just move on past. And we got pretty good at not feeling too bad about not giving everyone your whole attention because you could spend your whole day like stopping at every single shop and just never see what you actually want to see. We also were given a warning slash recommendation from one of the men who worked at the Riyadh to not take directions from a local because they'll direct you to a shop that they have a relationship with and they want you to buy something. So always know where you're going. Google Maps works okay. And so we would try to look up where we were going and get a directions headed on the phone when we had good Wi-Fi at the hotel before we left, because sometimes right in the middle of the market, you may not be able to access that. So we like knowing where we were going in advance, kind of being able to head straight there and not be asking people for directions all along the way. We never felt unsafe in our whole time in the country, we, I think having some guidelines and some understanding and also being in a pack of like, we, we went everywhere with at least two people and often were all together as a group of six. That is really helpful when it comes to, you know, ne- needing to save each other from, uh, from a particularly aggressive shopkeeper or something. You can say, no, you know, we've got to go now. We're headed out. So we employed some of those tactics. I will say that not all of the resources that are being offered by the shopkeepers are wrong. One of the afternoons, I think the first day we were headed down kind of just exploring and we saw a sign for a hammam and we thought maybe we'll go see if we can make a reservation for our hammams for tomorrow. So we went down that lane and the one that we had intended to go to didn't end up having openings. But out in the alley, there was a man and again, most of it's most of the shopkeepers are men, and most of the people who you interact with are going to be men across the board. I'm trying to think because it's an Islamic country and the women tend to be staying at home most of the time, it's usually men that you're interacting with. So there was a man in the alley who said, well, we have a hammam here and kind of indicated that there was another little shop, a, a little riad right here. And Rather than breezing past and saying, oh, no, thank you, because we were looking for another hammam, we said, oh, okay. And so we stepped inside. This was somewhere we hadn't planned to go. And we walked down this hallway. And this Riyadh is beautiful, 
totally renovated in a classic style. It was gorgeous in woods and white, and the atrium was well lit, and the whole thing was just beautiful. It was called Wazani, Wazani Riyadh. We were able to make our reservations for hammam and massage, and they also gave us a tour of the rooms and the rooftop that had this gorgeous pool and restaurant. And again, this is a small place. The Riyadh probably had eight rooms total. It was gorgeous. And I thought, when I come back to Marrakesh with my family, with my own children, with my husband, that's where I will stay because I thought it was lovely. Even just the rooftop pool, which we did get to take advantage of when I get to that in a couple days, I'll tell you more about it. But it was a really beautiful spot that we found because of the guy in the alley saying, hey, come check out this place. We're happy that we did. One a little bit funny and unexpected thing we did the first day was to go out into the new part of the city to get our nails done. My mom and my younger sister and I, who were first to arrive, all needed manicures and pedicures. It's something that we do at home and just hadn't had a chance before we left. And so we went and found a nail salon that did gel nails and we had a great manicure pedicure, stopped at a fun cafe called Zaytun Cafe, and then went back to the hotel and and rested. We stopped by, there's a big mosque right in the middle of town um, called Mosque Kautubia. And one thing that I didn't know before going was that in Marrakesh, you can only enter the mosques if you are Muslim. So we were able to see it from the outside. It's really beautiful. Take pictures of it. However, we weren't able to enter. So I don't know what it looks like inside. It was really nice to just walk by and see. I found a great vendor selling cotton candy, which was really fun. Got some cotton candy, walked back, and our sisters, the rest of the sisters, arrived later that day. So we had just kind of a brief introduction to the city on day one. The final interesting thing that we did on day one was to visit a traditional apothecary for argon oil. This, it's called the Herborist Fidaus, for Daus. Again, it will be linked. My younger sister had seen in Vogue magazine a few years ago as one of the last remaining authentic argon oil apothecaries in Marrakesh. And so it was a little tricky to find, but we had it on location. She had a picture of the woman. And so when we went in, we knew that we were in the right place. It's actually inside of a little mall, which is kind of odd. You go off of the main street into the mall, up the stairs, and then it's just this little shop inside the mall. She was fantastic. And we got to try a bunch of the products, uh, buy a little bit of argon oil. I chose both some raw argon oil for skin and also cooked it's like roasted argon oil that's used as a salad dressing it was really cool she also had a bunch of essential oils and just a a really traditional apothecary is very fun so that will all be in the show notes for you that night late the other sisters arrived and we began sort of the bulk of our full trip the next morning we woke up and had breakfast at the Riyadh atlas acacia and then we went to the Bahia Palace, which happened to be just around the corner from the Riyadh. The Bahia Palace is a beautiful, colorful, tiled palace, an actual palace that historically housed a king, his wives, and his many concubines in its different rooms and courtyards and outdoor gardens. It's gorgeous. We went first thing in the morning which was great because it's a real high tourist attraction, so it got busy quickly. We were able to get some great pictures and enjoy exploring for a long time before we headed out. And by the time we left, there was like a line down the street. So it was great to get in early. 
After the palace, we went to lunch at a restaurant called Nomad. This is a really cool modern take on traditional Moroccan food. It's right kind of nestled in the heart of all of these market alleyways. And you need reservations. So we had gotten reservations for lunch. We really enjoyed. We sat on the rooftop overlooking a part of the market, had a fantastic experience. And then we went straight from Nomad over to the Wazani Riyadh to have our hammam massage and also to enjoy the rooftop pool. So one of the beautiful things about having these reservations for the hammam and massage was that while two of us were being scrubbed and massaged, the other four could sit on the rooftop, order a drink at the restaurant, enjoy the pool. It was a beautiful, sunny, sunny day, which, you know, for March in the United States, for in most areas, it's been a really dark, long March. So it was a beautiful experience to be able to be up on the rooftop pool. The hammam and massage were great, very interesting. We did them together. So there were like two or three of us in the steam room. The hammam is like a big steam room in the Wazani. It is slabs of stone. So these really cool, almost like marble-like slabs that you sit on. And we were comfortable being nude because this is a shower situation. I'm sure that you can do it in a bathing suit as well. So I know this sounds odd, but it is really, really wonderful to be bathed, almost like you're a little baby. You get some warm water through the shower head that is kind of like an extension shower head, uh, all rinsed off. And then they use what's called black soap that has some of the, I think it's like the shell of the argon seeds that they crumble up and they mix that with the black soap and so that's you know you get kind of scrubbed with black soap and scrubbed with this other sort of exfoliator and then you get your argon oil and your rinse all off and it's just and meanwhile it's like a steam room and so some of you are probably thinking I would never ever ever do that because it sounds terrible and I happen to love a steam room I love the heat of a sauna I love warm water I'm so happy to be bathed so yes it was like so fun and then we went straight into massage and it was a really deep massage also culturally a little bit different because they had no qualms about your exposure so when I get massages here in the United States. People take, you know, the massage therapist takes care to make sure that the areas that are not being currently massaged are very tightly covered with your sheet. This was not exactly like that. There were moments where, you know, you're pretty fully exposed and just lots of massage happening. It was all females, females doing the massages. We were all females on the tables and just a very cultural experience. After this, and actually having some conversations with some friends, we have realized that massage seems to be a pretty universal health and wellness practice globally. And culturally, the way that it's implemented is very different around the world. So I have one friend who said, I really would like to get a massage in every country that I go to just to compare because it's all a little bit different. So hamama massage, I highly recommend. And also, if you are a little bit more shy or a little bit more... uh, you know, care a lot about being covered in a specific way, I would make mention of that up front. I'm sure they could accommodate and just know that like the going cultural rate is like, we're just going to clean you and rub you. And so that's, that's what I'm going to say about that. We had dinner at a restaurant called Mandala and the food was okay. We didn't love the food, but we loved the desserts. So I will link it and just 
know that the food was it was all vegan I think and which I normally love vegan food it just everything needed a lot of salt it it was good it just wasn't great however the desserts were phenomenal so much so that we went back again the next night so I will link that and just for sure check out the desserts we began the next day at having breakfast at the Riyadh of course and then we took a taxi out to the Yves Saint Laurent Museum and Marjorelle Garden. These are next to each other and you can buy a combination ticket. However, know that you have to have a ticket in advance and that they will allow you to get in line at the time of your ticket. So if you care deeply about what time you go, make sure you're able to get your timed ticket in advance. Otherwise, you'll be waiting and you you can't go into one. You, you can only enter both of them. Like we started with the garden, but our time ticket was for noon. And so we weren't able to enter the garden until noon. So just make sure that you have that clear. Buy a combination ticket, go to the garden first, but get there around the time of your ticket so that you don't spend too much time waiting. Something that we loved while we were waiting was a local boutique that Design Mom had shared that's called 33 Marjorelle, the street that you're on, I believe is Marjorelle. This is a very cool upscale boutique that had a lot of similar things that they were selling in the markets, just really, really well curated. So I found a cool t-shirt that was like a taxi. It says Marrakesh Taxi 1969 or something on it. It was just a really cool Marrakesh Taxi shirt that didn't feel, it felt like a shirt that I would buy here in the United States and wear it like not just a tourist t-shirt. And also just lots of other cool things. So it's kind of fun to see some of these goods displayed in a very thoughtful, very aesthetic way. And you could imagine them a little better in your home than when they're sort of in piles in the market stalls. It's sort of hard sometimes to picture what you would do with that or how you would style it or where would you where you would use it. The 33 Marjorelle was great for getting an idea of what things we may want to find out in the market that we could take home and really love. The Marjorelle Garden is fantastic. It felt like a desert botanical garden. Plus there's these cool water features and a beautiful Berber museum. Berber is the name of the indigenous people for the area that were nomadic. There's still a lot of Berber tribes that live in the Atlas Mountains and out in the Sahara. And the whole thing is just phenomenally done, super thoughtful and incredibly gorgeous. I love desert botanical gardens with different varieties of cactus and succulents and palms. And this was so fun to wander through. We also had lunch in the Garden Cafe, which I highly, highly recommend. The food is fantastic. And also, it's just an incredible environment to sit in this beautiful cafe with the gardens out surrounding you and be able to linger a little bit longer in the environment. After a wonderful lunch and wandering in the garden, we went over right next door to the YSL Museum which is really cool architecturally and also pretty small. So if you like YSL, Yves Saint Laurent, it's fun to go and see some of the history of his designs. There's a a room that has, through the decades, different designs on mannequins, and you can see them. I love fashion. I love design. I love sewing. So it felt really fun for me to wander through, even though it was very quick. There's also a little movie at the end that you can watch highlighting some of Uh, the Saint Laurent career and it's kind of one of the big things to do in Marrakesh as far as a tourist attraction that also feels pretty current and interesting so we loved it I would recommend it 
for sure the garden and also the museum is a, is a cool walkthrough. We finished the evening wandering through the market once again, uh, starting to pick up some of the things that we had thought about, the, you know, in the days earlier, and had dinner on the main square. There's a restaurant that is also called Zaytun Cafe. We were up on the second level. Many of the menus look very similar. So maybe you find something that you like, you can order at lots of different places. We were trying to venture into a few different types of food and that was trickier because there's sort of a limited menu at most of the places that we went. The food was okay. It was good. It was a beautiful night to be out overlooking the square. And then we circled back around to the Mandela Cafe for dessert on our way home that night. On our next day, we spent most of the day doing a cooking class, which was really cool. We did a little bit of wandering the market in the morning, having breakfast, of course. And then we took a taxi out to about 30 minutes away into a very residential part of the outskirts of Marrakesh, where my mom had arranged a full day cooking class with a local family that she found through Airbnb experiences. They had incredible reviews. This ended up being a really fun cultural exchange. We were welcomed into the family's home. We met the husband who sort of organizes the whole thing. And then his mother and his wife, who actually end up doing most of the work as the women in the household who do the cooking, we first sat down and had a sort of mid-morning breakfast. We had already eaten a little bit, but we had another mid-morning breakfast with tea and different types of breads. And then we're offered a menu of options. What types of things would we like to learn to make? And we chose three. We chose a beef with fruits, dried fruits, tagine. We chose a chicken pastille, they called it, that was like a kind of like a pot pie. And then we also chose a lamb tagine. So these were the three things that we were going to make. They also taught us how to make a traditional Moroccan salad and an eggplant dish. So once we had chosen what we wanted to make, we went to the market. And so we accompanied the father, this, you know, the tour guide into his local market, which was much calmer and much more local feeling than the Marrakesh main market. Here, no one were tourists. We were the only white people. We were the only women with our heads uncovered, uh, which wasn't, it didn't feel disrespectful. It, no one seemed offended by that, but they also just knew that we were outsiders. We chose fruit and vegetables and meat for the meals. We also stopped an apothecary, a spice shop, and chose a few different spices. And my sisters who hadn't been there on the first day got some freshly ground argan oil right on the spot at this little shop, which was really cool. And then we went back and spent the whole afternoon cooking. We learned different techniques of, you know, roasting the, the peppers and the eggplant right over a gas flame, how to prepare all of these spices combined with onions and lemon juice to make the base of what became the tagine. And then cooked the tagines on open fire, on open coals out in the patio of the household. They said they didn't eat like this normally. Making a big meal like this is something they would do on a holiday, they would do on Ramadan, or they would do if they had, you know, visitors. So we were the visitors who were learning to make these different dishes. And it was several hours of cooking and chatting. We they spoke a little bit of English and then combined with our hand gestures and storytelling, we had a great time getting to know the women who we were working with. They put us right to work, you know, using 
the different kitchen accoutrements and we we each took part. When people got a little tired, they go sit in the other room and have a glass of tea and then come back into the kitchen. And it was a really, really cool experience. I took fairly good notes. So when I got home, I pretty soon after I made it home from Morocco, within a week or so, I had bought ingredients and replicated a couple of the recipes just to make sure they were kind of in there. And everything turned out great. So I was able to share with my kids and my husband some of the food that we had eaten in Morocco. And that also felt like, you know, great application of some of the cultural exchange that had taken place during our cooking class. The day after the cooking class, we woke up early, packed up our bags, and got into our van, which would become our travel van for the next three days of our Sahara Desert Expedition. The first day was several hours in the car winding out of the city and up and over the Atlas Mountains. And at several points along the way, we stopped either for drinks or bathroom breaks or at these beautiful viewpoints to see the landscapes as we headed through the mountains. We visited an old, old town called Kasba Ait Ben Hadou. This is this gorgeous historic site. It's a UNESCO historical site. It only has five families who live there full time, but it was an important stop along the caravan route between Marrakesh and the Sahara historically. And it's also been used as a set for a lot of international films like Lawrence of Arabia and Gladiator, if you're familiar with those. After we wandered through, you know, up to kind of the top and took some fun pictures and got a feel for it, we had lunch at a local restaurant and then journeyed on to something called Ur Zazate, which is also called the, the Hollywood of Africa. There is an Atlas Film Studios there where you can see it's one of the largest film studios in the world with this huge desert scenery. And this is, again, part of where some of these movies were filmed that take place in like the, the Sahara, quote unquote. And then we continued on the route of the Thousand Kasbas and through the Rose Valley, which has a rose festival every year in May. And of course, it wasn't May. We were visiting in March, so the roses weren't blooming, but we were able to stop and see a distillery and where they make rose water and rose essence. And then had the most beautiful hotel stay that was so unexpected because it was just part of the tour. And so we pulled off. It was kind of hard to find the little driveway. And we were thinking, oh, you know, we'd been in the car all day. We'd seen all these beautiful sights and also we're ready for bed. And we enter this Riyadh that is just spectacularly designed. It feels at one with the desert. It's like the actual, the walls are earthen. And of course we sit down and are offered this tea and this beautiful little bowl of nuts and snacks. As our rooms are being prepared, our luggage gets taken up to the room and we meet the owner of this hotel who has been building it himself for the last 12 years. And he shows us around this super thoughtfully designed and gorgeously executed Riyadh in the middle of this kind of nowhere. It's called Ait Sidrate Jibel. I will link the actual hotel that we stayed at there. Of course, we were just passing through as part of this Atlas tour. And it was one of our favorite nights of the whole trip. We had what I think was everyone's favorite meal that night, just a really thoughtful, almost deconstructed traditional Moroccan meal, had a really beautiful night's sleep in these thoughtfully designed, comfortable guest rooms, and then woke up to just the light pouring into this incredible hotel that we all agreed 
the next time we're in Morocco, we will go and maybe spend a, a few days there. Uh, the owner said he's working on a pool. He doesn't have that ready yet. So maybe in a couple of years, it will be fully ready. And just like such a beautiful little gift in the middle of this desert tour. So we stayed the night, packed up, headed back on the road and continued out to the Sahara Desert. So we stopped in another another couple towns and overlooks on the way and arrived at the edge of the dunes right around sunset, which was designed because it's too hot in the middle of the day to be wandering around in the desert. So we got there right at sunset, were lifted up onto our camels for a camel ride off into the pink dunes and the sunset of over the Sahara. This is such an odd thing because it's like regular desert and then the dunes of the Sahara just rise up out of the middle of the landscape. It feels a little bit out of place and truly just sort of begins. You're just in regular desert and then the next step you are in these dunes of the Sahara. We were in an area of the Sahara called the Erg Chebi, the Erg Chebi dunes, and rode our camels up through the dunes. Our camel guide parked them and we were able to walk up to the very tippy top and edge of this dune to watch the sunset. It was gorgeous. We took a second, some of us, to run down the dunes. I mean, this steep hill. You feel like you want to roll down or run down. And we did that with bare feet and just sailed through with sand flying everywhere, climbed ourselves back up, rode our camels down. And when we finished our camel ride, they brought us right in to the safari tent overnight camp this desert camp that's right on the edge where we were able to have dinner and then you know rinse off and get our pajamas on headed back out to listen to some traditional music under the stars my sister-in-law had a birthday on the trip celebrated her birthday while we were there and our driver our tour driver was so thoughtful and we had mentioned kind of in passing that her birthday was coming up and he had gone to a local bakery and had a cake you know, bought a cake and had her name put on it. And so the desert tour guides sang happy birthday. They were doing like a traditional song and then it transformed into happy birthday. They brought out this cake with candles on it. It was so thoughtful. We listened to music and laid under the stars before curling up in bed in the safari camp at the edge of the Sahara. And it just felt like magic. The next day, We had a lovely breakfast outside of the desert tour and then packed up into the car. And in that one day, we needed to travel the distance all the way back to Marrakesh that had taken us two days on the way out. So this was a long day in the car. Normally, this tour is a destination to destination tour. So you start in Marrakesh and you end in Fez, which you're traveling through the Sahara on your way to Fez. So that last day would just be getting you to Fez. But we wanted to go back to Marrakesh to finish our trip where we had begun. So it changed the itinerary a little bit. We took a different road home than we had taken. So some of the views were different. But truly, that last day of the desert tour was just sort of like a put your head down in a book or listen to some music. We passed around the auxiliary cord to each of our different phones so that we could play our different playlists. And I ended up reading an entire book and a half on the nine-hour drive. We did stop at a couple viewpoints, and we stopped for a great lunch. And for the most part, we were ready to just head back. We had had a fantastic couple days traveling out and meandering into the desert and doing the Sahara Desert Tour, which I 100% believe was worth the drive. 
And this one day was sort of a long haul of driving, so we just had to mentally prepare for that. When we pulled in to Marrakesh, we didn't go back into the main part of the city because we were going to finish our trip at this gorgeous boutique hotel that my sister-in-law Megan had discovered for us. It's called the Berber Lodge, and it's about 40 minutes outside of Marrakesh. It was the perfect way to end our trip. And I mentioned this in a different episode about the peak and end. After having such a vibrant and exciting trip in the city, in the desert, we just spent the last 24 hours relaxing in a luxury accommodation, very thoughtfully designed, holistic experience with beautiful rooms and comfortable bedding and well-lit places living room and a couple different patios and a beautiful pool and a huge garden to walk through. It was a really incredible final couple days of our trip and we didn't leave. We went to the Berber Lodge, we checked in and we just enjoyed being there. We had all of our meals there. We sat by the pool, we read books, we took pictures, we relaxed and we finished out our trip in this thoughtful, slow unwinding which made the whole trip feel like it had been relaxing and luxurious, even though at parts we were running around or we were in the car for a long time or the the market was really bustling. Finishing it with this really luxurious, you know, day and a half was perfect. And the Berber Lodge was a phenomenal stay. We woke up in the morning and had a taxi ride directly from the Berber Lodge to the airport, hopped in our separate airplanes going wherever we were going. One of my sisters lives in Spain, so she went straight back to Spain. One of my sisters went to Portland. My mom and my other sisters went back to Salt Lake City, and I flew back through Paris to Richmond, where I have been downloading and processing the experience for you know a couple weeks, and I made myself a goal of wrapping up the experience into a photo book by the end of May, which I know I have a little bit of time. I have a tendency to go on these really cool vacations and take a bunch of pictures and enjoy the experience so much and then just kind of tuck it away. And I want to highlight this one you know, along with some other ones, but I'm going to start with this one because it's so fresh on the brain and I took so many pictures. Marrakesh is nothing if not photogenic. So I have, you know, between me and my sisters, we have, you know, over a thousand really cool pictures of the trip. So I'm going to put it together in a photo book and be able to show my family, be able to, you know, have those memories in a place that I can experience them over and over again. And also recording this podcast and the accompanying blog post that will have all the highlights, that will also be another way where I can have easy access to some of the memories that otherwise would get washed away. So that's just a good reminder for me and for you as you're experiencing some of these vacations to make space at the end to process it, to think about it, and to capture those memories in a meaningful way. So there it is, friends. There are the sort of highlights of our 10 days in Morocco. I'll tell you quickly my three favorite moments of the whole trip. The first one was my very first walk through the the narrow streets down to the market. After a few days, I felt like I was a little bit familiar with some of the shops and the shop owners and and the wares. And that very first time, everything was new and everything was vibrant and exciting and interesting. And I loved just seeing the thoughtful ways that the rugs were displayed and that 
the dye, the indigo and other pigments were piled up for people to look at. Everything in Marrakesh feels a little bit technicolor in a beautiful way. And I loved having all of my senses heightened and the experience feel very embodied because I was so in the moment as I was experiencing so many new things at once. It was really fun. My second favorite moment of the trip was the morning that I woke up in the Sahara Desert. I woke up a little bit early. No one else was awake yet that I had seen. And I, I put on my slippers and pulled on my robe. I was still in my pajamas. And I headed up the hill a little bit away from the camp. There was a little table and chairs, I don't know why, sitting right out, kind of on the first bend of the dune. And it was still dark, but the sky was lightning. And I sat there and watched the sunrise in silence. And it was probably 30 or 40 minutes of slow lightning, slow colors streaking across the sky. Finally, the sun broke over the dune and the beams were so bright, I you know, had to close my eyes for a minute. Again, another moment that just felt fully present and fully unique, something that I had never imagined experiencing and, and there I was. And my final favorite moment was the very last night of our trip, sitting around a table with my mom, my three sisters, one of my two sister-in-laws, laughing and chatting and enjoying a meal under these beautiful bistro lights in this you know, botanical awning in this gorgeous hotel outside of Marrakesh and feeling the connection that happens when you experience new things together and the belonging to a family. We're all very different and live lives in our own way and yet are able to find such commonalities in the way we like to travel, the way we like to experience different things in the world and spend that special time together that we only get every couple years. It, it all became sort of hallmark moment for me for a minute just looking around the table and almost hearing a soundtrack in the background of this is my life these are my people this is a you know such a unique place to be and really an intense gratitude for the work and investment that goes into making those types of experiences possible and how worth it it always is I hope that you have enjoyed coming along with me on a recap of 10 days in Morocco, that you have gotten a sense of what it might have been like to be there and that you have the resources now. If you're planning a trip or know someone who is, that you can refer to the show notes to get all of the links and itinerary for the trip that we experienced and how it was so wonderful. Along with that, I just want to let you know that there are still a couple spots available for my upcoming couples retreat hosted in partnership with Kristen Hodson of The Healing Group. This is going to be a fully inclusive experience in Costa Rica for a couple. Dave and I, together with Kristen and her husband Jake, all have long histories with Costa Rica and also a lot of expertise both in working with couples, that's Kristen, and in planning vacations and retreats, that's me. Novio's Couples Retreat is a connection retreat for adventurous couples, and it's happening this coming November 5th through 10th in Costa Rica on the Nicoya Peninsula. If you and your spouse could use 
some additional connection if you want to go on an all-inclusive vacation with like-minded outdoor-oriented couples and have the whole thing planned for you from the time you land until the time you take off. Have the details, the transportation, the food accommodations, and all of the fun adventures like a surf lesson and jungle waterfalls, a sunset snorkel cruise, and incredible dinners on the sand. Then consider applying today. We have just a couple spots left and are hoping to fill it up as soon as possible so that we can begin connecting with the couples who are going to join us in November ahead of time so that when we get to the country, it's all just icing on the cake to spend that week together. Again, you can apply at livefreecreative.co, look for Novios Retreat at the top of the page and submit an application if it feels like something that you and your spouse would love to do. I will chat with you again next time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.